Sounds good. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of A Power of Pops. Coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. I appreciate you all listening. Everybody who has uh, been kind enough to listen to the show, thank you so much. I appreciate your support. Uh, This isn't a show about uh, me or really anything else. It's a show about history. It's a show about music. It's a show about art and the artistry that goes behind it. It's a show about the people behind the art and uh, some of the sacrifices they go through for the art. And uh, thank you all for joining me. And today I am joined by Dan O'Mahony from, uh, are you, are you always from, were you always from Sacramento? No, no, I'm from Orange County. Oh, no kidding. And I lived in Northern, I, I lived in Northern California. I lived in Northern California for a number of years, moved back down because I needed to tend to a dying family member. Right and then after that, I needed to manage, needed to manage her estate. And I just never made it back up. Right on. So, so um, yeah. you you have a large list of bands that you have been in. Uh, mm-hmm. Six, seven, eight, maybe, around there? I'm, more, I'm, I, I, trust I, me, my friend. My friend <laughs> it, it, it's more than that. I, I have 16 records out, and nice. I don't think I've ever done more than three. I don't think I've ever done more than three records in one band. Oh, Most wow, of them okay. have been one-offs. <laughs> right, Most right, of them right. have been one-offs. So yeah. I think... <laughs> I think even if I sat here and tried to name all the bands I've been in, I'd miss a few. So. Right, right. <laughs> no. I've only been yeah. in three, so I'll never be in your position. So you're a lucky guy. Um. Well, like, so there, there are things like people people recognize No For An Answer, they recognize Carry Nation, they recognize yep. 411, right? Yep, yep. Beyond that, beyond that, it, it, it kind of becomes this soup. And what's funny is my favorite work comes from the rest of that roster, right. not from the... Not from the three that everybody recognizes. So you know, art and, and art and the artist's appreciation of their own work versus the audience's appreciation are, no, I guess, totally. two very different things. You know, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, growing up in California, like, what got you started towards living or or the music like what got you kicking like were you in middle school high school did you were you hanging out with friends well, so like what i was like, a private school you? kid i was I, I was i was a catholic school kid okay and i was always i was always in schools in elementary school and in or in junior high and in high school i was in schools that my mother who's a single parent working worked, often working two jobs couldn't really afford, but she, she, for some reason, felt that education was important. Yeah. So typically, I, I, I was the poor mind. kid surrounded by... <laughs> <laughs> well, typically, I was the poor kid surrounded by kids who decidedly were not. Yes. Right? right? And probably 79, 80, 81, in those years, I was slowly becoming aware of these sort of scary figures on the periphery. Right. Um, these punk rock, punk rock kids, right? Yep. But, you know, by, by maybe 1982... My favorite thing about them, or the most fascinating thing about them, was the way other people reacted to them. Yes. Whereas I had maybe once been, whereas I had maybe once been frightened by them, or maybe even <laughs> rejecting of them, right. I was becoming extremely envious. I was becoming extremely envious. So what do you think of the attention they attracted and the impact they made on people? Yeah. And by '83, I was dyed in the wool, living the life. What was the? What was? If you could remember, if you have one, what was the song that grabbed you the most? Like, what was it, what musically 
grabbed you and was like, fuck, I'm doing, this is where I'm going besides the, the attention. But what was the music that? Well, the first, the first, the first vinyl I ever bought on the same day, I bought an LP of Nevermind the Bullocks by the Sex Pistols. (laughs) And well, well, and a cassette of Double Vision by Foreigner. So the transition wasn't quite, well, so the transition wasn't quite complete yet on that day. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, I've never seen any point in lying about it or pretending that I didn't go through a huge and kind of long phase where I was really into the British stuff because I did. But probably the first band that really sounded like I felt or freaked people out the way I wished I could was the Sex Pistols. Okay. That's funny because, like, I mean, I grew up in Florida. I'm originally from New Hampshire, but I moved down here super young. So I grew up listening. My stepfather listened to, like, Molly Hatchett. Johnny Winters. Okay. You know, so like in 1983, when I was introduced, I got, I was lucky. This is, I, I would have to call this the luckiest day of my life. My two friends came back from uh, vacation and one went to New York and one went to California. The guy from California brought back some punk rock. The guy from New York brought back mm-hmm. hip hop. And <laughs> in the same day on tape, they both introduced this to me. It was around the same time that Bill Cosby had that uh, comedy where he was sitting down talking about his family's like might have been 83 84 because we listened to Bill Cosby Bill Cosby Bill Cosby himself talk about talk about a classic work who's a man (laughs) the guy's moral reality has turned it into an unwatchable piece of shit no shit but in its time it was in its time it was amazing yeah yeah but like when the music hit me I was like holy shit I'm being introduced to two styles of music that pretty much are saying Mm -hmm. the same thing to me uh they're both anti-establishment they're both don't, you know, don't fuck with the smaller, don't kick down, um, right. that, that ideology. Uh, when you started going and started playing music, what was mm-hmm. your main, like, ideal? Like, what were you trying to share or get across people well, when, as you when I look at When I look at old lyrics that I wrote, the stuff that I wrote, I, you know, I first... I went to my first shows in '83. I started listening earlier than that, but I finally got up right. to got up the sand to go to live shows in '83, and that's also when I started writing lyrics. Uh, so my first show ever, yeah, was 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 a uh, was check this out: social distortion uh. in a classroom at the local university that was no longer in use. Holy shit! It was social distortion. Social distortion in a room at, at the University of California, Irvine, was that like the and there were fights all night. Tour? That was that era. It yeah, wasn't, I mean, there was no tour. They're from Orange County. Yeah. We're so playing, and they, we, they were in their hometown. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and it was, it, it was a quite a thing to behold. Later in that same year, at a place, people always either know it as the Nest or the Cuckoo's, either the Cuckoo's Nest or the Concert Factory. Okay. And I don't know which it was at this time. It, the same... The same building was referred to by different names, but I caught a Vandals show where a lot of the, oh, even though the Vandals were pretty punk rock, a lot of the openers were more what was slowly coming to be called hardcore. These bands like the Targeted Demand and a few others that were sort of the fast, choppy, forbidden beat type bands. And that was the night where I saw four or five singers and felt that I could do a better job than every single one of them. Okay. Like to sound really arrogant, really obnoxious, but and no, at that I mean, point, that's an artistic, I, that that would be an artistic uh, vantage point. I would imagine. Yeah. Like you'd be well, like, that oh, that would be the component. Here, yeah. go ahead. No, I was uh, the, meaning like 
that was you that was your arti- artistic your natural artist in you I, yeah. I would imagine saying I could do this like this is I could do yeah. this better and I could give a better message right well so that was when I that was when I committed to getting a PA and starting to try and assemble a band um, I probably didn't have much success until about 85 um, the first time I sang in front of a crowd um, I just I Sean Stern turned the mic over to me uh, during during Men in Blue in, in, a, in a small bar show in 1984, and having all the eyes on me didn't make me nervous and didn't freak me out, and I just kind of went, yeah, this is where I belong. So what were a lot of the bands, I mean, were there um, well, at the time? This, when you, oh, I, you know what? I, I screwed up. You asked me about message. What was I trying to convey? And I, I went on this big rant about 1983. Yeah, yeah. Everything that I wrote when I was younger, yeah. Had to do with feeling like an outsider right. and had to do, I noticed there was a real obsession with the surface reasons that people ostracize one another and the surface, like, I wrote a lot of things that refer to the, the so-called social identity crisis. Right. And I wrote a lot of things about skin-deep judgments. And I, I've always had this weird complex where I feel like a monster or I feel like an ogre or I feel like this this unwanted presence in the world and it's not healthy and it's well it's not healthy and it's not right right and it comes from a from an unfortunate place which is i think uh, growing up as a latchkey kid and the yep. the, the single the, the the single parent the the sole, the sole child of a single parent mother yep struggling single parent mother same place um there was just this sense of not necessarily being wanted or looked after even though she was an incredible woman um her ass, I'm sure. and it yeah, and it, and it got it, it, you know I had a tricky I have a tricky family structure. There's a lot of addiction on my father's side. Yep. Uh, my father's side was not not towards me, but in life right. had they were no strangers to violence. They were kind of a hard, rough and tumble group. And I just <laughs> we might found me and my sense of yeah, <laughs> but me and my sensitivities and my temperament didn't really fall in with your typical right. laid back Southern California surf kid. And, it, and my lyrics reeked of it. So sorry, I, I got sidetracked and didn't quite deliver on that no, question. No, no, that was good because you kind of made a connection because, like, uh, this is kind of the connection I've tried to make over the years doing this is, like, I grew up in Florida. You grew up in California. You just pretty much explained mm-hmm. my life here in Florida. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, right. like all the kids who are uh, – who become artists, all the people that uh, become – musicians and because they're wanting to share a uh a story that while growing up like you and i as latchkey kids you know like Mm -hmm. that story wasn't shared and people nowadays have no fucking clue really what the hell that was and they don't understand Mm -hmm. the effects that it had on people at that time and 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 where where this all came from and and that was a very good that's a good poignant part that you just made like because I know most oh. of my friends are latchkey kids, you know, my mm-hmm. age, and they all grew up, and they're trying to be great parents, and they have kids, and they're 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 busting their tails, trying to right. kind of go different way from where they were, you know. Right. So it's it's a well, and my and my my dynamic was compounded by the fact that you know my mother was more my friend than a parent. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of discipline in the house. She had a lot of faith in my character. We didn't get many hours of the day together. Right. And then, while I was still very young, when I was 22 years old, she passed away. 
wow. and I've been on my own since then. Okay. Now, I mean, plenty of people move out by then, but to truly be on your own, be it like a one-man family unit. Yeah. Um, That's intense. There's just there's always been a sense of isolation and of outsiderness that. Uh, I, I don't think I have a best friend because I have several best friends. Right. And what I what I and what I mean by that is I don't I don't I don't warm to people or let people in very easily. And the ones I do, they're people of substance and they and they last in my life. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And um. For sure. That's well, so where I'm going with this is in in punk rock and in hardcore, that kind of became problematic for me because there came a point in the late '80s where this like fierce self-protection and sort of isolationist nature and this real pushback against in crowds, popularity, mm-hmm. popular kids, uh, yep. going along with the group sort of reversed field and it became about the group. Right. And somehow I was smack dab in the middle of the group right. because my, my own moral stances matched those are the in crowd. Right. I'm like the the West Coast's angriest straight edge kid, <laughs> and that's getting giving me and that's giving me an in with this booming East Coast movement. Yep. Which is all well and good. It's got that's got a great shelf life of about a year and a year and a half. But then there's the problem that I'm smack dab in the middle. That I'm smack dab in the middle of the popular kids. Yeah. And the pushback, the push pushback came and remained. You know, I started dyeing my hair black, decking myself out in all black when we play with you. Right. When we play with youth today, you know, <laughs> right. I, I, you know, my first tour in Europe in the early '90s, I picked about seven thousand fights. You know, just yeah. like, right. you know, there were there was just there's there's an instinctive distrust. There's an an instinctive distrust of that group dynamic. You know, the whole group behavior group is the savior. It, 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 ain't, it ain't part of me. You know, group think, can't do it. Group think is dangerous. Yeah, you know. And then yeah. I was going to ask you about that because you're, you know, you said your background. You mean you were straight edge? I don't know if you still are. Mm-hmm. Um, that's none of my business. Not, not, not even a little bit. In fact, I'm. There have been times in my life when I went way too far to the opposite end of the spectrum. Okay. Okay. At fifty three, at fifty three, I've kind of outgrown that right. bullshit. Luckily, yeah, yeah. thankfully, because not everyone in my family did. <laughs> right. But, but, but no, I. Out of fifty three years, you know, five, five coming up on five and a half decades on the planet. I think I identified myself as straight edge for nine. Right. You and, know, like not even a quarter of my not even a quarter of my life. Right. So that that's that yeah. that's an important thing too to share. Like people can change and still have a a positive thought process and a positive push towards. A oh, message. you and you and I have you and I have both you and I have both interviewed Ian, right? Yes. Ian McKay. Yes. All right. Well. That's a guy who never changed course and never never lapsed in either judgment or appreciation or, or stance, you know. He made me feel very, on alcohol and chemicals and yeah. things like that. And he well and he remains he remains a hero of mine. So it's not that I'm trying to champion one end of the spectrum and condemn the other. Correct. It's it's really not. No, no. I just I had a journey you know, and a path that, you know, coming from an alcoholic family, coming from a family who's the entirety, the entire history of my father's side of the family is in the Irish pub business. <laughs> you know, yep, you know, you know, you know, and being, be, you know, and be, yeah, and being a vi- being a violent kid who lost who lost, who you know, yeah, lost the only parent he ever lived with early and everything else. The chemistry set was just going to take me into certain rooms and, and into certain spaces for a few years. Yeah. My own emotional makeup. It was all destined. It was all destined to happen. But I mean, I'm glad I landed neither a neither a fanatic nor an addict. I would say. 
you know, I didn't land at either end of the spectrum. I think I landed well-informed. So throughout the 90s, as you were performing and, and going through bands, what was your yeah. what was your trajectory? Did you have, like, were, did you have something in mind? Or were you just like, I just want to play music and, and this is what I want to do? Well, like, what was well your... it's a weird thing. It's, it, it, I think Central, particularly to those years, the only thing that was certain or consistent in the mission, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. was that the band and its lyrics and its message and even the behavior of its members should represent some sort of a moral compass or at least some sort of aspiration or some sort of a higher idea. Right. Particularly when you're that young and your responsibilities are a little bit less, it's very easy to focus on, on society's cancers. And you're not wrong. You know what I mean? But you're at a point in your own development where maybe you haven't done, you really don't have that much mileage. You don't have that much internal exploration to do. Right. You know what I mean? Which is, I think, why young music is often some of the most idealistic and, and socially conscious. That That's not discrediting to it. Yeah. I'm saying it is a great, perfect time in life for it. You know? Right. Um, but later on, it's like as I got older, things became more personal. And then after a very, very harsh stretch of years, I actually went through, and I don't know if I'm still in it because, you know, nobody's doing music during the pandemic. Right. But I actually went through a phase where I didn't feel worthy of getting on stage and presenting people oh, wow. with a moral agenda because, but well, no, because my own life was so fucked up. Right. You know, I was, I was, I had not dealt well with, you know, I was, you know, years removed from my divorce and had not processed it well right. and was not behaving well. You know, I had no, there, no, no healthy intimacy in my life, no impulse control when it came to, you know, anger or barroom life. Right. Uh, a lot of a lot of job hopping, you know, and it was like, and I'm gonna, you know, I had a very talented band fall in my lap, and I'm like, and I'm gonna go play hero when I'm when I, when I'm in this condition. So you know, it was like, should I even be doing this right now? But I just let the, I just let what I was feeling come out in the lyrics. It ended up being some of my favorite work ever, you know. So you know, I think so long as you're telling the truth, you know, you're justified. Right, and and. Yeah. As as you've gone through these years and 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 you know definitely have dealt with things that would make most people give up on doing anything. Uh, what do you feel was the 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 most important thing that kept you afloat? Like, was it the message? Was it the fact that you're being able to get out in front of people and share your, your, your innermost feelings? With them? It, it, it's, it, it really, it really, it really depends on what year you asked that question. Cause at one point I didn't do a regular practicing show playing band for nine years. Okay. Um, and, uh, that I did little projects, uh, but after, after speak was done, in 98, 98 or 99, wow. I didn't do another, I didn't do another regular band until God, maybe even longer than I think it was. Cause I didn't do a full blown regular committed. Yes. This is the band I'm in. I'm in a band yeah. until, until, uh, done dying, which I did as a result of the rev 25 reunion when no for an answer played. Right. Uh, I, uh, I 
you had a weird moment of clarity, which it's funny, it's an AA term. I've clearly been around my father my whole life, on weekends anyway. But I had a weird moment of clarity. I had a weird moment of clarity where I went, this is a room full of very passionate people, and they're all, they've all, they're all, they've all either got gray hair or they're bald. Right. You know? And I was like, there is a space for this. Now, the, the sadness that came out of that is a lot of their, their, a lot of them are only passionate about celebrating the past, and I had no interest in that. Right. I was perfectly willing to do to do something out of thanks for the label that gave me my start, but I wasn't ready to go live in the decade that it happened. Right. And a lot of the people who played that show have been doing exactly that since then, either on the stage, you know, or people in the audience. I've been doing the exact opposite, and the reception has at times been challenging. Right. Yeah. What What would you find to be the most challenging about those? Like, what What is? Oh, people, people. If people, people hear the name of, the, you know, okay, this band's got a singer. Right. And I don't want to be nauseatingly self-referential, but if this band's got a singer, and he's he's the front person in one of the original ten, one of the one of the, the original ten Revelation seven inches, right? Right. Well, who's going to go check? Who's going to go check that out? And what are they going to hope to see? Right. Not what that person has evolved to in their fifties. Right. And you know, you know, you get up there and you're now the face of tax debt yep. and <laughs> and isolation. You know, and and you you know you may or may not have happened, you know been through lawsuits or incarceration or whatever. Right. That's not. I've never been a prisoner or anything like that. What I'm saying is, right. how often is that person from that band going to be that person they were in that era? And I'm not going to say rarely. I'm going to. I'm going to say never. Right. So anybody who gets up there and pretends that they're that person, they're full of shit. Right. I'm not saying they've changed their moral stances on things or anything else, but you're not that person anymore. Yeah. You've lived more years since then than you had lived total when you did that work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's been a tough because they didn't want to. You know, like in Dun Dying, they got a heavy dose of my sort of occupy minded leftist politics right. which there was no clue of on the on the freaking you laugh seven inch. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. You know, um in in Shiner's Club they, they get to hear what a very lonely divorced man sounds like screaming <laughs> into the dark, you know. That's also not that's 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 not what you know, that's not what floppy haired four one one fans in cargo shorts are showing up for. I got so, you know, it's all last year and yeah. that's why I'm laughing. Oh, I got divorced. I got divorced ten years ago. Hopefully, yeah. you'll do a better job with it than I did. I don't. Well, yeah. she she definitely gave me a lot of money to leave. <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> my my ex wife and I do not lay eyes on each other in person. We have yep. we haven't been in the same room. I think in seven years. No, but from day one, we've really treated each other with with, with class, right. and we never we 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 did a summary disillusion and just walked walked in opposite directions. No mm -hmm. financial settlement between us. No support mechanisms, and like, you know now we follow we follow each other on the social networks, yeah. and you know send each other nice messages on holidays, and that's about where it should be and where it can. Be, yeah, you totally. know, you know, you got to meet people where they're at. Yeah. I guess you would say. Yeah, for sure. Well, she's kicking ass. I mean, she's she's had two she's had two daughters and is married to a fire captain and is a oh. very accomplished personal trainer, and she's a she's she's a dynamo. Yeah. Well, and I'm living in a one-bedroom apartment, screaming into microphones <laughs> like I have since I was 14 years old. But anyway. But that's all right. That's what artists do. 
That's why we're both okay. on, that's why we're both on microphones right now in our mid you know, pretty much in the midway yeah. of our lives. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would have well, I have no I have, I have I have no intention of living to be hundred and six, so yeah. I sure as fuck better be in the second half of my life. Man it <laughs> sucks is like everyone in my family like lives to be like ninety something, but they all get Alzheimer's. I'm like, Well, Alzheimer's from what I hear isn't that bad because you don't know. You know, like I watched my grandfather yeah. go that way and he seemed happy as shit on his way out. Like the last conversation I had with him, he's like, "Why don't more? Why don't people get morphine every day after work?" <laughs> my uh, like, well, my my grandmother did, but that ruined most of the country back in the seventies, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. For the last for the last like five months, my grandmother was alive. She was convinced my name was Pam. So nice. it was interesting. It was interesting being That's Pamela awesome. O'Mahony. So anyway, That's awesome. So, okay, so I I have to bring this up because this is this. I usually don't bring this kind of stuff up, but someone being my around my age and Mm -hmm. being politically involved probably as much as I have our whole lives. And I mean, I saw Social D and Janice Landings in 1989 during the prison bound tour. And I remember Mike Mm -hmm. Ness stopping the show because Nazi skinheads were. Sig Heilin, he's like, you know, I just got a jail, guys. I'm not going to deal with this bullshit. And, uh, right. And growing up in Florida, I had to deal a lot. You know, we had to fight against, unfortunately, what was a stolen identity from England. You know, the spirit of 69, mm-hmm. the original Jamaicans that started the whole movement. And it got somehow by the Metzgers screwed that whole shit up and screwdriver. But, um, right. But I watched over the years all this stuff happening during the 80s and 90s, and then it kind of went away. Right. And okay. We saw it the other day, I think. Um, how, right. How do you. I don't know if it, I don't know if it went away or it just became more mainstream. It, it, you know, it was the skinheads, skinhead, skinheads were freaky and they were, and they were, they were. A sensationalist story that attracted that attracted the, the you know the news networks yeah. when we were kids. They were passe by the time we were grown ups, yeah. and the Republican Party was drifting in their general direction by the time we hit middle age. And then, and I mean, the, the, the more the and I, I'm not equating like fis, fiscal conservatism with racism. There's there's yeah. some weird synergy there that has yeah. has linked them more and more over time, which I don't get. But I will. <laughs> oh, are you there? Hello, hello. I think we lost him for a second. Yes, we did. Uh, hold on.
There you are. What point did I lose you? Oh, um, I think right when we were right when Google was getting mad at us about talking about this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I have a uh, Google phone, and uh, it listens too much. Uh, but uh, <laughs> well, so are we? Are we? Are we still recording, or do you need to start again? No, we're good. We're good. Uh, we were okay. at the point of where you've noticed how it's kind of made its transition back well, yeah, just, in a weird way. Yeah, well, I just think I just think it's come back above ground. Yeah, I don't. I think it's always it's always been there. It's in a certain portion of society, it's just become more acceptable. The same way things that should have always been acceptable are more are more acceptable now. Things that should never be acceptable seem to be more acceptable now too and that was the you know that's another thing like i was talking to somebody of mine i helped my old friend of mine bought an old like 65 uh rambler with a 383 stroker in it and we were messing with it today to get it going and we were talking about what was going on and my grandfather was in korea and vietnam he's a 20-year serviceman uh most of the people most most of the people in my family i mean we grew up pretty poor Clarksville, West Virginia, Gosstown, New Hampshire, been around since the 1600s, but like very poor families. And okay. and uh, my grandfather was always anti-fascist. I always remember him talking, you know, how bad the Nazis were and stuff when I was a kid. I mean, this was like in the 70s, mm-hmm. you know, and, right. and nowadays they've somehow turned the idea of being anti-something that was anti-american and anti what mm-hmm. we all have had the ability to have the freedoms to say and and play the music that we played and protest and do the things that we do and somehow it's made a weird um this weird it, it's flip-flopped like all of a sudden antifa is the bad guy so, yeah someone who's but anti- you know what's funny what but you know what's funny about so-called nazis these people, they're just, these are just racist. There's not a political ideology yeah. behind anybody, behind any, they're just racist to pick their favorite logo. Right, exactly. I mean, right, you know, right. there's all these different brands and all these different styles. Yeah. There's all these different, you know, there's all these different flags you can run around with while playing, while playing fucking, you know, King Idiot these days. Yeah. And arguably, arguably the fourth, the fourth, the third Reich had the best packaging. Mm-hmm. But you know, you know, <laughs> strong marketing, Anti-boots. strong strong marketing team. Great, but, uh, great suits and front yeah. boots is what they say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but the, but the fact of the matter, but the fact of the matter is, I painted all with the same fucking brush. Right. You know. Yeah. Did, did you, yeah. So it's like. Did you feel like? Were you surprised? No, that's what I'm saying, and that's, that's sort of what I was yeah. getting at. Is it's just. The level of its acceptability is a little bit shocking to me. That that a mainstream politician, or that the, you know the, the 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 chief executive in the land, yeah. would ever be somebody who saw a political advantage to not discouraging people, these people, or to currying their favor not so subtly. That's a little bit of a shock. Yeah. But I mean, I've but I, I've always known that a massive swath of the American public are straight up assholes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a good percentage, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's and it's it's it, it, it's largely, I think, in, in character. That's what becomes of people who can't accept the blame for anything. 
Do you think they'll, that... they'll they'll hang it? You know, yeah. There's no accountability, and there's no accountability in in the, in the racist mind. That's why that's why everything is the fault of of, of some other. Do you think that you know? Do you think artists, uh, maybe because I don't, I don't know why because I mean I myself I went to school for sociology. I have an automotive degree. I'm somebody who's want always wanted to learn puzzles and learn about history and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And and people are very important to me, and that that's the biggest part mm-hmm. of the the podcast for me, is that like I, I I've always found it crazy that we've kind of horse blinded ourselves to something that was there, but yet we didn't decide to fight against it until thirty years later. In, in a sense, most of, people most people want a roof over their head, somebody's arms around them at night. Yeah. You know, yeah. and money, and, you know, and, and and money in the bank, maybe even procreation. Yeah. How many people really look to have a fight, or right. to be fighting any kind of a fight in their lives? They they avoid it, even to the to the you know, even matter? to the actual debt. Yeah, but the, yeah, they, they, there are people who avoid conflict or or who avoid resistance, who 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 seek the path the who seek the path of least resistance. Right. Uh, much to the destruction of others. Yeah. If the privileged, if the privileged don't speak out, uh, you know, in defense of the underprivileged, the, the, the lines remain drawn, you know? Yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah. That's, I think yeah. I'm going to leave it with that line because that was a very good line. Uh, okay. Dan O'Mahony. Uh, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I've, Oh, it was fun. I appreciated it, man. You don't realize like, uh, all the all the people that I usually get on here usually takes a little bit of time. Well, Life happens, and you know I'm just one of those guys. Like I said, I'm doing this to for a historical reason uh, more uh-huh. than anything else to to share this with younger people that don't know about these people that that have been around for a long time, and that's the only reason why they have the music or the lifestyle that they have now is because of like people that. You know, um, as artists put themselves into the into that art so much, and uh-huh. and put so much of their heart into it and their love, that you have to share it. You know, like I want I want to share all this with everybody because I went on tour, I roadied, you know, I got the five dollar uh-huh. per day per diem, you know, that which got you cigarettes, and back then it was like one quarter OE and a seven layer burrito from Taco Bell, you know, like. <laughs> You know, like no, was... there's 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 a whole there's a whole dynamic and a time and an era yeah. that is lost and unknown to the to, to some of the generations that came after it. Yeah. I get it. I mean, I understand. I, I understand. I understand why you would want to, you know, create a verbal history of that. And yeah. I and I and I thank you for letting me be, be a part of it. And you're one. And you're a very important part of that history. And I appreciate it again that you joined me this evening. And and uh, thank you for working with me. And uh, hopefully sure. we'll talk again once things anytime once things lift off and you got some new music going. I would love to talk to you about that for sure. Sounds good, sir. All right, man. All right. You have a wonderful evening. You too. Take care. You too. Later.